Is Clayton Kershaw still the king of the fantasy hill? We'll talk about that and more next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, April the 22nd. It's show number 20 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. I am Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Friday news and comment show for you. We'll have player news from the National League with Harold Nichols, looking at Jake Arrieta's no-hitter, slow starts for Madison Bumgarner and Jason Hayward, a fast start from Elvin Upton, and other National League news. And from the American League with Jock Thompson, looking at Adrian Beltre's new deal, Trevor Plouffe's injury in Minnesota, Joe Kelly's DL stint in Boston, and more. And we'll have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In the Minor League Minute, analyst Rob Gordon reports on Boston infield prospect Yoan Moncada. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at when we will see Trey Turner in Washington and the potential impact of John Danks' early struggles in Chicago. In our Frequent Flyers comment, Alex Becky looks at Kansas City outfielder Terrence Gore and Minnesota right-hander Trevor May. In our pitcher matchup segment, analyst Greg Fishwick looks at Mariners left-hander Wade Miley in Anaheim to face righty Matt Shoemaker and other weekend matchups. And in Masternotes, I'll be talking about early season OPS leaders. It's another big Friday show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? We've had our first no-hitter of the year. We gotta talk some baseball. And as always in the first inning of our Friday News and Comment Edition, our League Watch News reports, Jock Thompson is on deck with the American League and leading off, it's the National League Report and our old friend Harold Nichols reporting in by phone. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. You're in the process of moving. Where's home now? We're, we're moving to Lafayette, Louisiana, so just a little bit down the road. But, but, but moving is chaos, as you know. I've moved a few times, and yes, it is. And you know, the mistake I always make is I don't throw enough stuff away before I leave. I always wait till I get there. I pay to move it, and then I throw it in the garbage. That's true. We have the same, the same issue, so absolutely. But I sure wish I hadn't thrown away my vinyl records, a mistake I made many years ago, and uh, I kick myself once a week on that topic. Uh, Nick, big news in the National League, of course. The season's first no-hitter on Thursday night. Our reigning Cy Young Award winner, Jake Arrieta of the Chicago Cubs, no-hit. Well, it was only Cincinnati, but it's still an accomplishment. It is an accomplishment. I mean, a no-no is a no-no, you know. So it was a, it was a, a great pitching job on uh, Thursday night, and so... Uh, You've got to give him props for that. And certainly, you know, the thing to remember about this guy, you think back, as you, as you said, the reigning Cy Young Award winner, think back a few years ago when he was struggling, when he got traded to the National League because he couldn't uh, live up to his uh, his top prospect tag. And it, it makes you think about uh, a lot of these young, these young pitchers who take a while to get themselves established. And uh, he has certainly gotten himself established. It's actually Arietta's second no-hitter. He threw one against the Dodgers last August, I think it was, and uh, I was reading a story about it uh, early after the, uh, after the accomplishment, and D- David Ross, who, who caught both of those no-hitters, said that in this one, he thought Arietta was well off of his best for the first four or five innings. He walked four guys. He only had six strikeouts for the game. Pretty good when you have an off night and you get a no-hitter. 
it is indeed pretty good when you have an off night. You know, and that's a, I, I noticed the same thing in the line, uh, although I didn't get to see the game. But, yeah, six strikeouts and four walks. Yes, he didn't have his best stuff, uh, but still was able to uh, be deceptive enough that he got the, uh, got the job done. Now, you mentioned uh, we started seeing that uh, Jake Arrieta was really something last year, especially in the second half when he built that uh, Cy Young campaign, and I think he edged out Zach Greinke, who had a pretty good year himself. I read in that same story, Nick, uh, Jake Arrieta has now had 24 consecutive quality starts over these last two years. He's two behind, get this, Bob Gibson had 26 straight back in 1968-69. Boy, if, you're, if they're even mentioning your name in the same sentence as Bob Gibson, you're doing something right. You sure are. I mean, that's, uh, that's awfully impressive. And certainly uh, the way he's pitching right now, you expect him to, uh, uh, certainly would expect him to, to eclipse that streak over the next three games. His ERA is down under one at 0.87. His whip after the no-hitter down to 0.68. Now, of course, he's not going to maintain those kind of numbers, but over this uh, 24 consecutive quality start stretch, Nick, uh, it's been amazing. A 13.0 dom, uh, 13 strikeouts per nine, a two and a half walks per nine, a 5.2 command ratio, strikeouts to walks. He's just been doing everything. And, and the question I think I'd like to ask you as our National League newsman is, has he replaced Clayton Kershaw as the best pitcher in the league and, and by default, the best pitcher in baseball? That's a, that's a really good question. I think, you know, I, I think at this point I would say, yeah, he's, he's gaining on him. I'm not ready to jump in and say that, uh, that the uh, tables have turned here, but certainly he's gaining on him with the, with the kind of dom rate that he's displaying uh, and the kind of dominance he's displaying. But Kershaw has done pretty well himself, and so I'm not sure there's any reason to say that he's been replaced yet. But uh, maybe the two are, are running neck and neck at the moment. Yeah, I'd like to see a draft, like a mid-season draft, where somebody was coming up to that first time they want to pick a pitcher and both those guys are available. I bet you a fair number of people would p- take Arietta at this point. I'll bet they would. I mean, I, and, I, and I think uh, there would be reason for doing that. So I, I wouldn't criticize them for making that kind of a choice. Our projected balance, if you're keeping score at home at Baseball HQ, is for 18 more wins, 197 more innings pitched, and 197 strikeouts with a 270 ERA and a whip right around one. So that's uh, getting the job done. Speaking of great pitchers, Nick, Madison Bumgarner has not looked like one so far this year. And in the starting pitcher buyer's guide, columnist Stephen Nickrand looks at some slow starting pitchers that are worth holding on to. And, of course, Madison Bumgarner's on the list. What is Stephen's analysis here? But, you know, what you need to look at, I think we need to remember, it's early in the season, and this is the time of the year when people are are tracking their team very closely and trying to get off to a good start. And you've got to remember this is April. With every decision you make this month, you've got to remember this is April. April's a different month. The the weather conditions are different than they're going to be in July. So keep all that in mind. So what's going on with Madison Bumgarner? Four starts, 3.91 ERA, 1.39 whip. Um, There are a couple of things happening here. If you look underneath those numbers, things look much better. 3.43 XCRA, 3.6 command ratio, 29 strikeouts, only 8 walks. What's been happening with Madison Bumgarner is a 35% hit rate. That's really going to come down. And uh, a, a 20% home run to fly rate, we know that's going to come down. So a lot of bad luck in the early going. Uh, I don't think there's any reason for concern. The rest of the numbers look very, very good. Uh, certainly not someone you want to drop or trade at this point. 
No, if somebody in my league was offering Madison Bumgarner around because they're worried about him or frustrated or whatever, I'd certainly be at the front of the queue to uh, put in an offer, that's for sure. Uh, now, I, I do have one, a couple of concerns uh, I'd like to get your opinion about, Nick, on Madison Bumgarner. And the first is that his fastball velocity, which has never been overpowering, he's a 92-ish sort of fastball guy, but he's down around 90 this year. And that uh, I wonder if that's a cause of concern. And the second thing is his ground ball percentage, which is typically in the mid-40% is underneath 40 40 at 37%. You like to have those guys who are high strikeout, high ground ball guys. And uh, I don't know, it just, are you as concerned about that or as noting of that as I am? Yeah, I think it's something to keep an eye on at this point. I mean, I would say, I wouldn't call it a concern, but I think it's certainly something to, to watch. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's very frequent for, um, for guys as they build up their stamina during the season to see that fastball velocity go up. If it stays where it is, then I think we've got a uh, got a problem, uh, that and, and maybe a problem that we're not seeing or hearing all about at this point. Um, so I, that's certainly something to watch. But I would expect that uh, as he gets, as the stamina builds up, as the weather warms up, that velocity will go up. If it doesn't, as I said, I think there's a problem. Um, same thing with the ground ball rate. Again, it's something that uh, we're early on. We're looking at a tiny sample size. But again, we'd expect that to go up by several percentage points as the season progresses. Stephen Nickrand in his starting pitcher buyer's guide column also looked at another pitcher off to a slow start, also worth holding on to, Stephen says. Philadelphia right-hander Aaron Nola has a 568 ERA. Why is he worth holding on to? Well, you know, here's a guy, here's a guy that uh, you know, your, your, your league mates are not going to drop Madison Bumgarner because he's got a good established record and, and they'll hang on for dear life and they paid a lot for him in the draft. Uh, and they're going to hang on for dear life even if, he's, uh, even if he struggles. But Aaron Nola's a guy, you know, we're talking about a young guy here, just coming, just really getting his feet wet in the league. It's very well last year, and suddenly he's off to a really bad start, as you said, a 5.68 ERA, 0-2 record in 19 innings, innings pitched. So the key to that is 19 innings pitched, okay? We're looking at a, a 47% a strand rate at this point, a 17% home run for fly rate. Both of those are aberrations. We know they're going to get better. And underneath those numbers are some really strong numbers. Aaron Nola may have a 5.68 ERA, but he's got a 1.05 whip. Uh, those two numbers don't seem to go together, but that's what we're looking at. And besides that, he's got a 23 strikeouts, only three walks, a 2.81 XERA. All the supporting numbers are very, very good. Uh, just, I think, some bad luck in the early going. And he's the guy, if somebody is, is, is going to panic, uh, he's the guy who might actually get dropped and thrown out of the waiver wire. I thought so too, and uh, the number that jumped out at me was well, two of them, and you mentioned the 5.68 ERA and a 1.05 WHIP simply don't go together. Our mutual friend Todd Zola, who's a frequent guest on the show, says that you need to look at WHIP first and figure ERA from there. And if a guy's barely allowing one base runner per inning, the fact that so many of them are coming around to score, as you mentioned, a 47% strand rate, so more than half of his base runners are coming around to score, which is ridiculous. And then the the uh, elevated home run rate, and then something else I. Really really like about Aaron Nola this year. He's not a high strikeout guy. His reputation is not that. Certainly last year he was not that. But here his dom rate this season so far, again a small sample, 11 strikeouts per nine with a 7.7 strikeouts to walk command ratio. These are absolutely elite numbers and I'm not suggesting he's going to maintain them for the rest of the season. Indeed, uh, Baseball HQ's projection is for a, a more modest strikeout and command ratios. But that's really good and that's something that's worth hanging on to. Very definitely. 
Stephen Nickrand is also the batter buyer's guide columnist, and again, he was looking at slow starts to hold on to, and one name that jumped out at me in the National League was Jason Hayward of the Cubs, and Nick, it seems like we've been waiting for Jason Hayward to be a superstar for years, and he isn't that, but he's a darn good player. He is a real, real good player, and he's off to a terrible start. One, 179 batting average, 496 OPS, and 56 at bat. I mean, it's a terrible start for Jason Hayward. Certainly not what the Cubs thought they were getting when they signed your contract. But the thing I think to remember is that he had a terrible April last year. Last year in April, he had a 217 batting average and a 6.11 OPS, uh, and then warmed up and performed very well the rest of the year. In fact, that, that April will continue to, to, uh, put a cast of Paul on his numbers for quite a while. But last year, after April, 780 OPS in every month, 780 or higher. So things, as the weather warmed up, Jason Hayward warmed up. And having seen that as a pattern from a year ago, I think we can take uh, what's going on this April a little more with a grain of salt and say, all right, this guy's just, just getting started. And when the weather warms up uh, and he gets out of some of those freezing temperatures, uh, things will get a lot better. He's an interesting guy in that uh, the last couple of years he's been a mid-$20 value player, and yet when you think about him, nothing jumps out. You don't think, oh, big home run slugger or a top batting average guy or he's going to steal a ton of bases, although he'll get some bags. He just seems to be like J.D. Drew, one of those guys who does everything well enough to be a real positive contributor. And then, of course, from the Cubs' point of view, he's also a plus-plus defender with in the uh, in the outfield, which is not something we capture normally in most fantasy formats, but it keeps him on the field, first of all, and it does provide him that all-round value that we really should be prizing as, a, as fantasy owners. Yeah, very definitely. I mean, I, I agree with you absolutely. Jason Hayward, nothing jumps out at you. Uh, if you're looking for a guy with a lot of power or a guy with a lot of steals, he's not going to get you any, uh, he's not going to get you a huge number in either of those categories, but he's going to contribute some in both, as well as RBIs, as well as runs, as well as a decent batting average. The kind of guy that, you know, if you could put together a lineup with a bunch of guys like that, you'd probably win your league. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, uh, 14 Jason Haywards on your club, uh, you'd be doing real well. Another slow starting hitter, Miami outfielder Marcel Ozuna. Now, Nick, as you know, a lot of experts pegged Marcel Ozuna as a top breakout guy for 2016. So far, he's looked more broken than breakout. He's barely over 70% contact rate. He's only got one home run, a couple of RBIs, and a 519 OPS. But Marcel Ozuna, the thing to look at, first of all, is his hit rate. This guy has a... a, a 32% hit rate projected, we're now at 25%. So the, the, the batting average on balls in play is low. The, the hits just aren't falling right now for him. Um, the second is that his fly ball rate is on track. He's hitting the ball in the air at a pretty good clip. Um, and so I, I think we can say that Marzello Zimmer looks like he will certainly turn things around as the, uh, as the season progresses. Uh, again, not a guy I would dump at this point. Um, probably a little more risky than Hayward because he doesn't have the, the quite established uh, – established track record, but I would still peg him as a good breakout candidate once uh, once things get going. I've actually seen Ozuna's name on some drop lists in the public leagues, Yahoo and ESPN and so forth, which means some people are getting tired of waiting or or are too worried about Ozuna's uh, long time, got to be this year kind of reputation, and they're saying, well, I'm not waiting anymore. And I think if he's in your free agent pool, it's definitely worth picking him up depending on what it costs you to drop him. We're projecting 16 homers and 50 RBIs, 50 runs scored the rest of the way. That's a good, solid mid-teens dollar player, and if he's available for nothing in your free agent pool, of course, that ain't going to happen in a National League league, but in a mixed league, it could well happen, and you should be thinking about it. 
Very definitely. Definitely someone to take a look at at this point. And by contrast to all the slow starts we've been talking about, uh, Melvin, the artist formerly known as B.J. Upton, is off to a blazing start in San Diego. Greg Pyron looked at Upton in a Facts and Flukes performance validation column recently. You liked what he saw? He did indeed. You know, Melvin Upton, 31 years old, has been terrible the last few years. I mean, this guy has just been absolutely awful. Uh, we, he, was, he was good when he first came into the league. He looked like he could be a, a uh, perennial all-star and then just kind of fell off a cliff. Actually, in the second half last season, Melvin Upton began to show a few things. His line drive rate was up. His hard hit contact rate was up. Still had a, a, a low overall contact rate, but was producing some, some good speed and some good power. And that's what we're seeing so far in this, in this season. 49 at-bats, two home runs, four stolen bases, 286 batting average. We're looking at a 300 expected batting average because his contact rate is up to 78%. That's about 8% higher or, or even 10% higher than we expect from Melvin Upton. So I would think given that second half from last season and given the start of this season and given the fact that he's probably out there on the waiver wire for absolutely nothing, he's a guy that might be worth kind of tucking away to see if, if some of that early career magic returns. He's only 31 years old and certainly could, uh, could begin showing something. So uh, I, it's not a start that I would dismiss totally at this point. Something Greg said that caught my eye was that uh, we should expect his hit percentage, maybe to, uh, his hit rate, we call it, to maybe be a little elevated right now. But I was also thinking his line drive rate is up and his hard contact rate is up and his ground ball rate is actually up a little. Shouldn't his hit percentage go up with all of those factors in his favor, including his f- uh, foot speed? Yeah, you would, you would think that it would. You, you, would, you would expect that to happen. So um, maybe what we're looking at with the hit, with the hit rate a little bit lower is just some plain bad luck to start things off. I was also thinking it might be better for Upton not to generate more fly balls if his mix of ground balls, line drives, and speed gives him more on base percentage because that would mean more stolen base opportunities. And I think in in baseball the way it is these days, I'd rather have stolen bases than home runs because I think home runs are a little easier to find. I think you're right. There are there, you can find the guys who are going to put the ball out of the park. It's much harder to find a guy who's going to be able to uh, to steal bags at a consistent pace, and uh, Upton's speed is certainly intact. He can do that. Well, Nick, I know you're moving into your new house. I understand that you've got people lined up, tradesmen and refrigerator guys and furnace people and all the stuff that goes with moving in, so I'll let you go for this week. I'll talk to you again next week. Good luck with the move. All right. Thank you, Patrick. Harold Nichols is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and, of course, covers the National League here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now let's move on to the American League. And BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. You're not moving, are you? No, no. Uh, I'm, I'm too old for that stuff, PD. I'm staying right where I am. I've been here now for about 18, 19, 20 years. Not going to happen. And you've got uh, some nice proximity to a lot of good things. You can get down to uh, some of those nice Mexican resorts pretty easy, cross to First Pitch Arizona and spring training in Arizona pretty easily. It's a pretty sweet location. Yeah, uh, Southern California's not bad if you like to travel and, and go different places and uh, and have the time. And right now I have that. It's uh, It's been a nice life uh, recently. It sounds like it has. Uh, let's talk about some baseball. The news in the American League this week, Adrian Beltre, a three-year extension. And that's uh, pretty interesting for a couple of reasons. First of all, he's 37. He just turned 37, so this will catch his 38 and 39-year seasons. 
And, of course, uh, it also begs the question, what's going to happen to Joey Gallo, the third-base uh, Uber prospect that they've been looking at for a long time? He's down in AAA, and he won't be up anytime soon unless he switches positions. You wrote about all this in your Playing Time Tomorrow space covering the American League West. What do you think's going on with the Beltray extension? Well, it is interesting, and, and, and I'll say this for Texas, other than maybe not having a lot of uh, pitching depth right now, they've done a pretty good job managing their roster financially. I mean, I, I think Beltre is a, is a luxury they can afford, uh, given his contributions and, and what a professional he is, and the fact that what he's, still, what he's providing now is still pretty good. Um, he's not a bad guy to have around uh, when you're having a lot of uh, uh, rookies that are going to be breaking in over the next couple of years. Uh, he'll he'll certainly teach them uh, how to play the game right, so to speak, and how to how to prepare. Um, if you look at now, he could fall off a cliff any time. Obviously, you you made mention of the point that he's 37, and if you look at his uh, um, his numbers here, I'm just pulling them up. Um, he's slipped a little bit over the past few years. He's not hitting 30 home runs anymore. But like I said, what he's providing is valuable. He's off to a really good start right now. Um, I, I think it's a good signing for him, and I don't think fantasy owners uh, have too much to worry about. Uh, we'll see. Anything can happen, like we've said. Gallo is, is kind of an interesting story. Uh, um, he's he's a pretty good athlete, and the thing that I wrote about is that uh, he he's already played outfield for the Rangers, and he's played some first base in the minors. I think the guy who's going to be leaving next year, if not before, is Mitch Moreland. He's a free agent to be. He's uh, he's a 30-year-old injury risk. He's still a pretty good hitter, and he's a left-handed hitter. Um, I would not be surprised to see Texas trade him for pitching in July, in June or July before the free agent, I'm sorry, before the trading deadline, if Gallo is developing as well as he continues to be developing in, uh, in AAA. Uh, and even if he doesn't, I think Gallo is probably the, the Rangers' first baseman of the future come 2017. On the other hand, if Texas is making a pretty good run and thinks they have a shot at a title, Gallo might make a pretty interesting trade chip for them to go out and get a real starting pitcher, an ace-level pitcher, which is something I think that they realize, even with Cole Hamels, who's, I guess he's ace-level, I wouldn't quite say so. I have him on on my Tout Wars roster. I'd call him a really top-level number two rather than an ace. If they were willing to dangle Joey Gallo out there, boy, oh boy, I bet they could uh, attract some pretty good interest. Yeah, that's a real good point, too. I mean, let's face it, these days, no prospect is uh, immune from um, being traded, depending on what the price is and depending on... uh, um, where his team sits and what they need. Um, so you're right. And Texas has a lot of options here, and uh, they, they put themselves in a pretty decent position, I think. Back to Beltre for a second. He's currently uh, sitting on three home runs after about 60 uh, plate appearances or at-bats, uh, works out to about 27 or 28 home runs prorated over the year. We don't have him quite that high at BaseballHQ.com. We're projecting him for 18 on top of the three he's got, so 21 total. Where do you come down on that uh, 21 to 27 home run range? Is that just the range, or would you lean one side or the other? Yeah, I think that's about right. I mean, you look at his last two years, he's had uh, 500-plus at-bats in in each of 2014 and 15, and he's hit 19 and 18 homers, respectively. He'll cool down a little bit, um, um, but, um, I mean, he's going to hit 280, 290. He's going to give you that great defense. I, I watched him against the Angels uh, last weekend, and uh, and boy, his his glove just never seems to take a rest. Um, I just always admired him as a player. Uh, terrific, uh, t- terrific, and fun to watch. 
In Boston, Jock, the Red Sox have some concerns about their pitching rotation, and those concerns got a little bit deeper this week with news that Joe Kelly is going on the DL with some kind of shoulder impingement, they say. I'm not quite sure what that is. But anytime I hear shoulder problems with a pitcher, I get worried, and I imagine the Red Sox are worried as well. Fenway is one of the highest-scoring parks in baseball, and, and right now we're seeing this in the Red Sox rotation in spades. They, they're, they, they're, they're currently last in the American League at 5.65, their ERA, I should say. Um, the word is that Henry Owens is going to be called up to, uh, to start Sunday's game, and, and Owens gets, can, can generate a lot of swing and miss. His problem has been walks up. We're seeing this in Pawtucket. Uh, he's got 23 strikeouts in his first 18 innings, but also 10 walks. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he fares at the MLB uh, level. Uh, Matt um, noted this, and he also noted something else, that the Red Sox really need Eduardo Rodriguez back. He probably has more upside than any of uh, the Red Sox near Major League Baseball, or I should say near MLB-ready pitchers. Um, and if Rodriguez comes back, he can help them out a whole bunch. I uh, believe that uh, Rodriguez is going to throw 70 pitches or so in five innings in a spring training game uh, this weekend. He's got a uh, dislocated knee problem, which sounds bad, especially uh, for a pitcher who has to use those legs to generate all that power and, and all the landing and stuff like that. Sounds like it could be pretty tough. So if we look beyond Henry Owens and uh, eventually Eduardo Rodriguez, it sounds like what you're saying is this Boston rotation is a, a, a pretty sad situation all the way around. Yeah, they've got, um, they've got Brian Johnson, who's a soft-tossing command specialist. Um, he could come up. He had some injury problems last year. He's got back of the rotation upside. I think they've actually done a pretty good job with Rodriguez when he was injured this spring. They backed off on him. They haven't rushed him. Um, hopefully he'll return healthy and, uh, and restore a little bit of order, and, uh, and maybe David Price will get a little better as the year goes on. We certainly expect him to. Behind Price, Porcello and Buchholz. Uh, Porcello has surprised, I think, everybody in baseball with his hot start. He's got uh, three games started, two quality starts. He's won all three of them. His ERA is up around five, but his whip's under one, which means there's probably some homer problems going on. And indeed, a 26% home run per fly ball indicates that his ERA could be headed down rather than up. Uh, is Rick Porcello briefly for real, do you think? Would you, would you take a chance now at this point? You know, I've taken chances before, and I've I've never been. He he's always pitched well in stretches, and he's always uh, heightened my expectations. And then he 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 disappoints. Uh, that's a tough park to 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 go all in on Rick Porcello. I mean, if you can get him for the price of a number four or a number five, you know, sure. But uh, I certainly wouldn't expect this performance to continue, not based on his past. Well, from your lips to uh, nobody's ear, because I've got him in my Tout Wars team as well, and I've been pretty pleased so far. Over in Minnesota, Trevor Plouffe is going to go to the DL, if he's not there already, with a strained intercostal muscle, which sounds something to do with a waterway, but I'm sure it isn't. Uh, It's going to take some time, though. They've recalled Jorge Polanco to take his roster spot. Alex Becky, who lives in Minneapolis and lives and breathes and dies with the Twins, probably mostly dying lately, covered this ongoing story in playing time today, and Nick Richards covered Polanco's call-up in the minor league part of BaseballHQ.com. So what is Minnesota going to do with Trevor Plouffe on the shelf? Well, I think for now we have to uh, uh, um, project that Eduardo Nunez, who's actually been red hot to start the season, he's 14 for 31, courtesy of a of a 32% line drive rate that isn't going to last. Um, he's going to get a lot of at-bats. And perhaps Polanco, who, who played third base on Thursday afternoon, 
but who will likely be sent back at some point soon, perhaps when uh, Danny Santana comes back from the DL. Um, Polanco is an interesting guy. He's, they've had him at shortstop in the minors. They don't believe in his defense there. They think he's a, a second baseman or a third baseman. He's blocked at both places right now. It's kind of interesting to watch the Twins bring up these guys. You're seeing it with Matt Kepler, too. They bring these guys up, and they don't play them, and then they send them down. So, Whereas I like Polanco um, longer term, he's not somebody I would recommend to any fantasy owner picking up unless you see the Twins playing him and, him, and, and, uh, and he's hitting. Uh, he actually has a good bat, I think, at his peak. We, we project him for uh, mild double-digit home runs. He's a good bat-to-ball guy. He'll, he'll probably hit 270, 280. He's got a major league career. He's got decent speed, too. I just don't think it's happening right now. There has to have been some discussion, Jock, in Minnesota about the possibility of bringing Miguel Sano out of the outfield where he's been horrendous and putting him back at third base where he played in the, in the, in the minor leagues and he's got a terrific arm. I don't know if he can field. He's a fairly big guy, but uh, he can't do any worse at third base than he can in the outfield, can he? No, and, and it's interesting. We're getting a lot of hemming and hawing out of Minnesota, it sounds like, from all the beat writer reports I'm, I've been reading uh, Paul, Ma- Paul, Paul Molitor, the manager in uh, Minnesota, hasn't ruled this out. Um, obviously, they're thinking about it. Uh, I watched Sano uh, butcher a fly ball out there a couple of days ago. I saw ago. that, too. Um, he was charged with an error and a couple of um, unearned runs. And he's started very slowly offensively. Maybe the outfield uh, play is wearing on him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back at third base. Uh, it, it's it's interesting because um, a lot of people raised their the, their eyebrows at the Twins when they um, picked up uh, Korean import uh, Byung Ho Park to begin the season. They have a lot of natural DH first base types. Uh, they've already got Joe Maurer playing first base. Now they got Park at DH. They've got Miguel Sano and, and Oswaldo Arcia, uh, both of whom seem to be natural DHs. They're going to have to get creative to get these guys into the lineup, uh, so it'll be interesting to see what they do in the next couple of weeks. And on top of all that, Danny Santana, who's kind of an infielder, outfielder type guy, is due back from a short DL stint as well, which gives them another roster problem. I guess the likely uh, the likely outcome is that they send uh, Nunez, uh, I should say Polanco, back to the minors and figure out a way to, to keep uh, Santana rotating around in the lineup. But there's a lot going on in Minnesota. And staying with that and staying with Miguel Sano, uh, Stephen Nickrand in his Batters Buyers Guide column, very early slow start holds, I talked about some of those with Nick a moment ago. He talked about Miguel Sano as well, and he said uh, this is a player that you need to be patient with and hang on because the best is yet to come. Yeah, he's got huge power, and if you look at his uh, what we call our uh, ground ball, line drive, fly ball percentage, he's not hitting a lot of fly balls right now, and Stephen points that out. Uh, most of his uh, most of his hits have been uh, have been line drives. He's got a good 42 percent uh, line drive rate. The problem with Sano is that he he's his contact rate is has never been terrific. Uh, he's never going to hit for great average. But this is a guy whose pitch selection is just exquisite. So when he hits the ball, he's going to hit it hard. Um, this is a guy who's probably going to going to hit 250, 260. But when he's hitting fly balls, he's always capable of hitting 30 to 40 home runs, and you you definitely have to hold Miguel Sano if you own him. It's an awful lot of strikeouts, though, and uh, and at the big league level, can you survive with a 56 percent contact rate? And how how much does he have to pick up before somebody says, "Hey, I can put up with the strikeouts to get the power," especially since he has yet to show any power? 
you know, it used to be, I think most of us never thought anyone could survive with that kind of a rate. But we're starting to see more guys who have who have a really good pitch selection. And for some reason, when they hit the ball, they hit it hard. I think Sano is going to be one of those guys. Um, um, it, it, it's 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 interesting because he's he walks. I mean, last year he walked 16% of the time. He hit 269. He may bat a little lower than than that in the future. But you're talking about a, a pitch selection that's say better than someone. Let's compare him to Chris Carter because they have similar power. I think Sano's pitch selection gives him a uh, and patience gives him an advantage over a guy like Chris Carter, who's always going to struggle to hit 220, 230. I think Sano can do this, but uh, time will tell. In Seattle, Mike Zunino uh, was kind of ballyhooed when he first came to the big leagues with the Mariners back in 2013, had a 175 or so at-bat uh, trial, hit five home runs, did all right, 22 home runs the next year, but he has a lot of trouble getting on base, shall we say. His batting averages for the last two seasons at the major league level under 200, and uh, apparently he's scalding the ball down in AAA, according to uh, a story that was uh, covered by Rod Truesdell. Yeah, it's interesting, and and it's interesting that we're that we're running into the Zanino story right right after Sano because uh, Zanino's contact rate at the major league level has actually been better than Sano's, or at least a little better. It's not great. It's sixty four percent in two thousand and fourteen, sixty two percent two thousand fifteen. Problem is his pitch selection. He walks at a four percent rate. 2014, a little better in 2015 at 6%. His batting average is 199 to 2014, uh, 174, 2015. Obviously, the Mariners need more than that. Uh, he still has good power. His power has never been in question. And the thing he's doing differently in uh, in in AAA, at least uh, at least so far, he's only struck out a few times. I think six or seven times in his first 40, 50 at bats, which is a vast improvement. Now, whether he can do that at the at the major league level is uh, is certainly in question. They're going to leave him down there a little bit. Um, they brought in Chris Iannetta, and uh, again, talk, talking about a difference, Iannetta is a guy who probably, like Zanino, doesn't hit much for average. He only hits like you know 210, 220. He hit around 200 for the Angels last year. But this is a guy who also walks at a 14, 15% clip, so he's contributing something offensively. And that's, I think, what Seattle's looking for. Meanwhile, however, uh, BaseballHQ.com's minor leagues scout team has an article uh, that starts with the regular season called The Watch List, where they look at uh, minor leaguers who aren't necessarily top prospects, but who are pit, uh, playing really well. And uh, guess whose name appeared uh, in that this week? Jesus Montero. He's got an 800 OPS in AAA Buffalo. He's hitting the hell out of the ball, and he's apparently looking pretty sharp with the leather as well. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Montero uh, had a number of opportunities in, in Seattle, and he could never quite get over the hump. And then I think he was victimized by a bad spring and being out of options this year. So they finally moved him, and uh, he, he probably needed a change of scenery, and, and good on him. Uh, that's all Toronto needs is another good hitter if he can come through. Yeah, I don't know what their plans for him are. Uh, he's not catching anymore. He was never a good catcher. Uh, I think I remember from when he, he was in Seattle because I had him for a year or two on a farm team of one of my leagues, and his problem was that he was always just out of shape. He reported to camp kind of overweight and doughy and, and never really worked himself into shape. And, you know, we like to joke a lot of the time about baseball players sometimes not being the most conditioned athletes in the world. But at the same time, it's getting a lot more like they're athletes rather than just ball players. And you can't expect to compete 
if you, unless you're some kind of uh, um, savant with a bat or, or as a pitcher like uh, Bartolo Colon or something, you need to be in pretty good shape. You need to take your physical condition seriously, and Montero never did, I guess, until now. He's starting to shape up. Yeah, last year was the first time he'd reported the camp in shape for a long, long time, and I was actually impressed with his AAA numbers. I think he hit something like 350 there, and he, and he, he not only hit for a little bit of power, but he made contact at an 80% rate. Now, granted, the, the Pacific Coast League is an extreme hitters league, and that accounted for some of that. But it made you think that here's a guy that if he stays in shape could could hit 280 and hit 20 homers at the MLB level. So uh, I think Toronto may have a good one there. I believe Edwin Encarnacion is uh, in his free agent walk year, so they may be looking for a first baseman, especially a cost-controlled one. You're right about his uh, year in Tacoma in AAA last year, a 966 OPS, he hit 355. Jock, thanks a million for sharing with us again this week. We'll talk to you again in a week's time. Okay, PD. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com, and of course he covers the American League for us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Our regular commentaries are next. This is Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. That music, of course, is Prince, who died earlier in the week so unexpectedly. One of the truly great and important artists of my time, and I'm very sorry that I never got to see him live. But of course, his music lives forever, and if you're interested, I'll have a special tribute to Prince after the credits of this edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Prince Rogers Nelson was 57. Back to baseball, we have our commentaries coming up, but first let me tell you about BaseballHQ.com and why we call it the best fantasy baseball website in the business. It's because BaseballHQ.com is always ready to keep you ahead of the game all season long with content across a wide range of great information. This week, our Playing Time Today news coverage looks at a closer-by-committee situation in Cincinnati. Two starting pitchers lost to injury in San Diego. There's a sore wrist for Dustin Pedroia and much more. In the GM's office column, Ray Murphy looks at patching and spackling to cover for the losses of star players like Kyle Schwarber and A.J. Pollock. And Facts and Flukes performance validation this week looks at Philadelphia outfielder Odubel Herrera's intriguing performance, Miami third baseman Martin Prado's slipping skills, Jorge De La Rosa's general mediocrity, and much more. During the season, BaseballHQ.com has daily matchups reports, a daily fantasy dashboard, team coverage, minor league scouting, and of course the projections and other roster management tools you can use to help dominate your league and daily fantasy baseball. And it's all only at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners, BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Friday commentaries coming up, playing time frequent flyers, pitcher matchup reports, and master notes. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. And here with a report on Boston's top infield prospect, Yoan Moncada, is BaseballHQ.com Minor Leagues analyst Rob Gordon. Now that Corey Seager and Byron Buxton are in the majors, the Boston Red Sox Yoan Moncada has taken over as the top position prospect still in the minors. The Red Sox signed the Cuban-born Moncada to a record $31.5 million bonus in 2015, plus an added $31.5 million fine for going over the allotted international signing bonus, but Moncada is quickly proving that he was worth the investment. 
Moncada can basically do it all on the baseball field. He has a quick bat, makes consistent contact, and has plus raw power. He's also a plus-plus runner with an above-average arm for second base. Last year in his pro debut, Moncada hit 8 home runs and stole 49 bases in 52 attempts. In 2016, Moncada is off to a blazing start, hitting 357, 509 with a 524 slugging percentage. He has 13 walks and 10 strikeouts and 42 at-bats. Moncada has also swiped 13 bases in just 12 games played. The Red Sox really have no reason to rush Moncada to the majors, but if he keeps hitting like this, a promotion to double-A could be in the works by midseason. For those in long-term keeper leagues, Yohan Moncada is a must-own and has the tools to be a 2020 player who hits 300 and draws plenty of walks. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues all season long. The BaseballHQ.com scouting team has reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, our coverage includes ongoing daily call-ups with prospects like San Diego right-hander Lionel Campos, Atlanta right-hander Casey Kelly, whom I remember having as a farm draft guy, I think back in the 1960s, Minnesota middle infield prospect Jorge Polanco, and many others. And we have a watch list report, a quick hit look at minor leaguers who might be on the verge of call-up because of changes on the big league roster, their own performance, or a combination of both. Many players in the watch list are not top-level prospects, but they could provide you some short-term fantasy value. In the latest edition, the watch list looks at prospects who are flaunting some early skills and upside, including Detroit right hander Michael Fulmer, Pittsburgh right-hander Jameson Tyon, and Toronto DH Jesus Montero, among many more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's time for our Playing Time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time or losing those at-bats or innings. In this week's edition, we'll look at when will we see Trey Turner in Washington and the potential impact of John Dank's early struggles with the White Sox. Here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield. Well, the Washington Nationals are off to an excellent start to 2016. It has not been because of Danny Espinosa. Espinosa, the team starting shortstop coming out of spring training, has just six hits so far this season with no homers or no steals through his first 38 at-bats. His on-base percentage sits below 300 as well, and Espinosa's lackluster performance thus far could have him on thin ice in terms of playing time. Washington would like to keep top prospect Treya Turner down in the minors past the June Super 2 deadline, but they're all in for this year and potentially next season, so further struggles from Espinosa could mean a Turner call-up sooner rather than later. Turner's off to an amazing start in AAA with 20 hits in his first 53 at-bats with a 459 on base percentage and 6 steals. We pegged Taylor as the Nats' number 3 prospect entering 2016 and also gave him a top 15 overall ranking on 2016's HQ100 prospect list. Turner has excellent speed and he was given 30 steal upside in the 2016 baseball forecaster, so if Espinosa continues to struggle, look for Trey Turner to be manning shortstop in Washington this summer. If you can stash him now ahead of time, it could lead to profit later in the year. To the American League, we go to Chicago, where BaseballHQ.com columnist Mike Shears recently took note of John Danks' early struggles in the rotation in his AL Central playing time tomorrow column. 
Danks has given up 10 earned runs over his first two starts, and his early fastball velocity of just 87 miles an hour is a couple ticks below where he's been at in previous seasons. There are a pair of intriguing rotation alternatives ready to go in the south side should Danks continue to struggle. First up is Eric Johnson, who used to be the Sox's top pitching prospect, but has recently struggled with some control problems. Johnson maintained a strikeout per inning rate, though, in 2015 with a 2.37 ERA at Triple A Charlotte, and he struck out 12, which is three walks over his first two outings there this season. Johnson was recently called up to serve more of a longman role out of Chicago's bullpen, but he could be in line for a rotation audition if Danks continues to struggle. The other name here to track is Jacob Turner. Yes, that Jacob Turner that used to be an elite prospect with the Marlins. Turner missed nearly all of 2015 with a flexor strain, but he's looked solid in two starts in AAA Charlotte with 13 strikeouts and 10 innings, both against the Durham Bulls. Turner is still just 25, and while he's probably behind Eric Johnson on the White Sox's list of planned Bs in the rotation, further success in AAA will make him a name to watch entering this summer. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has a playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every Tuesday. Now it's time for Frequent Flyers, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer because they could be available in your free agent pool and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers are Kansas City outfielder Terrence Gore and Minnesota right-hander Trevor May. And here to tell you why is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. What's in store for Gore in 2016? The answer may just surprise you. We'll begin with the only Kansas City Royals player to have three stolen bases and three total at-bats in 2015. That's right, we're talking about Terrence Gore. The speedy 24-year-old outfielder for the Kansas City Royals, Terrence Gore may have played nine games in 2015, and he only saw 12 pitches total all last season, while not recording even one hit. But he did manage to carve out a role for himself as a pitch runner. To be sure, Terrence Gore isn't likely to help you in many offensive categories. Chances are they can only help you in one category, stolen bases. But then again... Terrence Gore did bat 284 at AA Northwest Arkansas last season, plus he ranked second in the AA Texas League with 39 steals. Looking at Gore's minor league track record, and we do mean track record, Terrence Gore stole 39 bases in 2015, 47 in 2014, and 68 in 2013 at Single A Lexington. Not bad, but remember that Terrence Gore, like all of our frequent flyers, are long shots who may be worth a flyer if they are available in your league. And Terrence Gore is certainly worth a flyer, especially in AL-only leagues that place a premium on stolen bases. Let's face it, the Royals don't use pinch hitters very often. In 162 games last season, Kansas City only used 39 pinch hitters. Compare that to Tampa Bay, who, in 2015, used 214 pinch hitters in 162 games. But the Royals do use pinch runners quite often. In fact, the Royals led Major League Baseball in steals by a pinch runner in 2015 with 11. And only two players made up those 11 steals. Jared Dyson, who had eight, and Terrence Gore, who had three. So don't expect a lot from Gore, but he certainly could be a pleasant surprise in the steals category. 
Speaking of surprises, how about 26-year-old Twins right-hander Trevor May, who finished the 2015 season tied for third among all AL rookies for wins with eight, but only started 16 games and have 4.37 ERA as a starter. How is that possible? Simple. After struggling to a 4-8 record in 16 starts at the beginning of 2015, Trevor May was moved to the bullpen where he posted a 4-1 record with a 2.87 ERA in 32 appearances. More importantly, Trevor May's velocity improved from 92 miles per hour in the first half of 2015 to 95.1 miles per hour in the second half of 2015. Not surprisingly, May's DOM, or opposition strikeouts per game, jumped from 7.9 as a starter to 10.7 as a reliever. Remember, according to BaseballHQ.com, we look for a dominance rate, or DOM, of 7 or higher to indicate elite performance. Looking at Trevor May's DOM, both as a starter and a reliever, he certainly exceeds our 7 benchmark for baseball's best pitchers. Trevor May's exceptional 2.0 control rate in 2015 and his elite 4.2 command ratio in 2015 are also excellent indicators of great things to come. At BaseballHQ.com, we believe that pitchers who maintain a command ratio over 2.5 have a high probability of long-term success. And May's 4.2 command ratio is well above our 2.5 benchmark. Another indicator of what may be a breakout year for Trevor May is his projected 7.8% swinging strike rate for 2016, which is approaching the 8% benchmark we use to target American League pitchers. Bottom line, the projections for Trevor May, especially his projected 9.7 down for 2016, point to a potential breakout season for this Twins pitcher as a starter or as a reliever, or maybe even as a closer? It's possible. So is winning your league championship, especially if you add Terrence Gore and Trevor May, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky at BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here on Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's our weekend pitcher matchups report. Here with a look at Mariners left-hander Wade Miley in Anaheim to face righty Matt Shoemaker and other weekend matchups, it's BaseballHQ.com matchups analyst Greg Fishwick. There's big news in number crunching for our exclusive BaseballHQ.com matchup ratings this week. We've just completed our retroactive recalculation for all PQS scores from 2015 to reflect our new PQS criteria for 2016. You can hear more about the new criteria from BaseballHQ.com co-GM Ray Murphy on last Friday's podcast or read all the details through the links provided in any of the recent daily matchups columns on the site. PQS scores are now more evenly distributed along their 0 to 5 scale, and as a result, our matchup ratings are now more closely bunched around 0 in their distribution. While we fine-tune our recalibrated matchup rating cutoffs for recommended starts and sits, for now, we're using matchup ratings above 0.5 as strong starts, below minus 0.5 as strong sits, and between minus 0.5 and plus 0.5 as wildcard or risk-reward starts. Using the new PQS scores and their resulting matchup ratings, we'll look at one matchup for each day in each league this weekend. In the American League, it'll be Clay Buckles of Boston at Houston to face Mike Fires on Saturday, and Seattle's Wade Miley versus Matt Shoemaker in Anaheim, which the Angels like to call Los Angeles, on Sunday. 
In the National League, we'll review Jared Eikhoff of Philadelphia in Milwaukee to oppose Willie Peralta on Sunday. Starting in the American League on Saturday, Boston's Clay Buckholes is on the road at Houston with a strong start recommended matchup rating of 083. In his three starts so far this season, Buckholes has put up a PQS log of 0, 1, and 3. In his first nine innings pitched, he allowed 10 earned runs on three home runs, but he bounced back in his most recent outing. Buckholes had a retroactively recalculated PQS 5 against Houston last year, and the Astros are off to a surprisingly slow start this year, averaging four runs scored per game against five runs allowed per game. Houston's Mike Fires has a wild card or risk-reward matchup rating of minus 015. In 16 and two-thirds innings, Fires has allowed 12 earned runs and six home runs for a PQS log of 1, 1, and 2. He'll face a Red Sox team that's scoring and allowing about four and a half runs per game. Buckles is definitely the favorite over Fires. In the American League on Sunday, Wade Miley of the visiting Mariners and Matt Shoemaker of the home team Halos both have matchup ratings in the new wild card or risk reward range. Miley has a matchup rating of 006 and Shoemaker has a matchup rating of minus 017. Miley's PQS log is a so-so 2, 2, and 1. In 15 and two-thirds innings, he's allowed 14 earned runs on 26 hits. Shoemaker began the year with a PQS disaster zero, then put up two PQS threes that were aided by a combined 16% hit rate and 100% strand rate. Seattle is scoring and allowing about three and a half runs per game this year. The Angels are scoring just over three runs per game, but they are allowing almost four runs per game. There's little reason to risk starting either Miley or Shoemaker. Our final matchup this weekend is the National League tilt on Sunday in Milwaukee, where both starters have matchup ratings in the wild card or risk-reward range. Willie Peralta of the Brewers barely makes it into that category with a matchup rating of minus 050. Milwaukee ranks 24th in runs scored per game, 29th in runs allowed per game, and 30th in run differential per game. Philadelphia ranks 30th in runs scored per game, 20th in runs allowed per game, and 29th in run differential per game, so this should be a low-scoring affair. The Phillies' Jared Eikhoff has a matchup rating of 018. Even though his track record is a short one, Eikhoff should handle the flat brew crew. With his three starts this year, Eikhoff now has 11 career starts, including five against the Mets. In 70 innings, he has 70 strikeouts, an expected ERA of 344, and a whip of 103. Admittedly, aided slightly by a hit rate of 27% and a strand rate of 80%. This year, his first start PQS1 was the result of going only five innings, but he went seven in his next two starts for PQS scores of five and four. Eikhoff may not get enough run support for a W, but he should put up a solid performance. We can't say the same for Peralta. In his four starts so far this season, he's scored a total of three PQS points, failing to get into the sixth inning in any outing. Over 18 and a third innings pitched, Peralta has allowed 17 earned runs and 12 walk for a whip of 202. Even with the unfortunate combination of a 35% hit rate and a 61% strand rate, his expected ERA is still 547. Last week in his Master Notes, host Patrick Davitt noted that Cleveland has played fewer games than any other team this season, and he suggested that you consider Indians players as trade targets or free agent acquisitions to get those extra games for your counting stats. After this weekend, all teams except those Indians will have played at least 16 games, meaning nearly 10% of the season is about to be completed. 
but that's still too early to start Fires, Miley, Shoemaker, Erlen, or Peralta. Only Buckholz, Walker, and Eikhoff are worth counting on this weekend. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Greg Fishwick of BaseballHQ.com. Greg Fishwick is a pitcher matchups analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has weekend matchups for us here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. Now it's time for Master Notes, a weekly discussion about baseball and fantasy baseball. This week, I'd like to talk about early season OPS leaders. I like talking about early season numbers because they're essentially meaningless, but insanely popular. They're fantasy baseball's equivalent of the Kardashians. Now first, a disclaimer. I know it takes roughly two-thirds of a season to reach reliable on-base and slugging numbers, and by extension, OPS. So naturally, I wanted to look at the early season OPS numbers because they're the least reliable we have. Now, a 950 is a pretty high OPS for one season. In the last 20 full seasons, which includes a time when players might have been enhanced, a 950 OPS would have put a hitter in the top 10% of all hitters in that season. This season, as of Tuesday's games, the 950 OPS is again elite, with about 10% of qualifying hitters, 20 out of 201, reaching that goal. Bryce Harper of the Nationals is atop the leaderboard at 1295, while Gene Segura sneaks in at the bottom with a 957. What? Wait a second, Gene Segura? It's seeing names like Segura and Daniel Murphy, Colby Rasmus, and Christian Yelich on the list that made me start thinking, and by now I imagine you're glad something did. You see, one of the best predictors of an elite OPS season is a previous elite OPS season. Segura, Murphy, and in fact most of the guys on the current elite list have never logged any such elite seasons. And hitter OPS in any season correlates at about a 70% clip with next season OPS. More than half of hitters with a 950 season to their credit have multiple such seasons. So I checked how many of Tuesday's 950 OPS hitters have previously managed a 950 before. If you want to guess how many, eh, go ahead, take a shot. I'll wait. Okay, time's up. The answer is four. Bryce Harper, Jose Bautista four times, Carlos Gonzalez, and David Ortiz eight times. A fifth hitter, Josh Donaldson, was close enough for me last year in his MVP season with a 939. If I were challenged to bet on any of these hitters to finish the season still above 950 OPS, I'd put my money on Harper and maybe Donaldson and Nolan Arenado. And that's it. Here's how I set the odds for all the 20 members of the current elite to finish the season over 950, starting from the bottom and working our way up. Number 20, Gene Segura at 957. All he needs to do is get a little bump in his career OPS, like 288 points worth. Odds, a million to one. Number 19, Nolan Arenado at 977. He has had a steady three-year increase in slugging, which makes his current 600 mark look feasible. The issue for Arenado is his on-base percentage, which has stayed stuck in the 320s. He doesn't take enough walks. Arenado would need to boost his slug up to about 625 or so. It's a tall order, but this hitter in this park, he could make a run at it. I'm setting the odds at 25 to 1. Number 18 is Joanna Cespedes at 987. He came close last year at 942, but that was in a season when he'd already bumped his slugging by 100 points from the year before. Now, if he can hold on to a 600-ish slugging percentage, he still needs a 350 on base. He did that in his first big league year in Oakland, but that was 10 years ago. I'm setting the odds at 50 to 1, and I'm not confident. Number 17, Christian Yelich. 
He's in an even 1,000 for his OPS. He increased his slugging over the first three years from 396 all the way up to 416, a million to one. Colby Rasmus is at 1,006. He had an 840 and an 859 OPS in his past seasons, but he also has hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of strikeouts and very few walks. A hot streak to open a year always gets more notice than the exact same hot streak in July. Number 15, Jeremy Hazelbaker, one of the most added players at 1,006 for his OPS. He had a 775 OPS in eight minor league seasons, peaking at 998 at AAA Memphis last year. Lost in the glare of his hot start, he struck out 13 times in 47 plate appearances, that's 28%, and walked three. Those are not 950 OPS numbers. Odds, I'll say 10 million to one. J.D. Martinez at 10-10, a 9-12 OPS in 2014 with a slugging percentage comparable to the last few years. Again, the big factor here will be on-base percentage. Right now, he's 70 points ahead of his last two fine OPS years. That doesn't look sustainable, and he has a lot of strikeouts to maintain a 430 on-base percentage. I'll set those odds at 1,000 to 1. Number 13 is Jose Altuve, 10-24. Adding power every year till now, but he still topped out last year at a 459 slugging percentage. I looked it up. The lowest slugging percentage by any 950 OPS guy in the last 20 years, 517. Altuve's almost 50 points short. Uh, I should say low of the mark. Number 12, Michael Conforto, 1027. It's a positive sign that Conforto logged a 1027 OPS last year in an exciting debut at the Mets, but that was in just 45 plate appearances, hundreds and hundreds short of a definable sample. Conforto never had an OPS above 900 in three minor league seasons. Odds, 1,000 to 1. Number 11, David Ortiz, 1033. He had three in a row over 950 from 2011 to 2013, and he had a 913 last year. He has to cope with the shift, of course, and with being over 40, but if his creaking bones hold out for 145 more games, I'll say the odds are 100 to 1, and I'll put a double sawbuck on it. Number 10, Josh Donaldson at 1034. Donaldson is mid-peak at age 30 and his 10% walk rate and reasonable 30% hit rate over the last couple of years indicate a 370 on on-base percentage is pretty safe. So he needs a 580 slugging percentage if he wants to get to that 950 OPS mark. It seems reasonable given his 667 slugging start to the season. He needs to slug only about 570 the rest of the way to be at 580 for the whole season. In a hitter's park, too. His odds are 8-1, to one and I'd play it. Number 9 is Carlos Gonzalez at 10.43. Cargo is three years removed from his last 9.50 and has an aggregate 8.19 the last two years. Throw in some injury risk, and while he's still a decent fantasy asset, I'm going to pass on 9.50 for the year for Carlos Gonzalez. Call the odds 300-1. to one. Number 8, Jose Bautista, 10.73. Bautista's peak OPS season was five years ago, and his aggregate OPS the last four years is under 900. It's hard to bet a rebound from a 35-year-old hitter, especially when his current lofty OPS is mostly based on a 450 on base percentage, which in turn is the result of a 20% walk rate and a 35% hit rate, both well over his levels of the past few years. He could do it, I guess, but I'm setting the odds at 30 to 1, and I don't like the chances. Number 7, Tyler White, 11-11. Week 1, a 16-68 OPS. 
Week two, after everybody ran out and picked him up in all those public leagues, 593, including a 167 batting average and 11 strikeouts in 27 plate appearances. Owners in those weekly moves leagues must be really biting it. Hey guys, newsflash, Major League Baseball is hard. I'll set the odds at 975,000 to 1. He's a top sell-high candidate, especially in keeper leagues. Trevor Story, number 6, at 11.14. The Story story has been fun, but he's like Hazelbaker. Those great first games also had 24 strikeouts and just 3 walks in 63 plate appearances. That's a 38% K rate. Not surprisingly, his elevated OPS rests entirely on his slugging percentage, which is nearly 800. That's a full season mark that has been achieved in baseball history only four times. Twice by Babe Ruth, twice by Barry Bonds. I'm going to bet Trevor's story is not Babe Ruth or Barry Bonds. I'll set the odds at a million to one, and I still wouldn't bet a buck. Number five, Mark Trumbo at 11.43. His career OPS is in the mid-700s. His peak, just a sniff over 800, and that was four years ago. He's cut down his strikeouts this year, but also he's walking way less. His current 407 on base is the result of a 380-ish BA, in turn the result of a totally unsustainable 39% hit rate. Odds, 500,000 to 1. Number four, Dexter Fowler at 12.17. Like Trumbo, Fowler has had an OPS over 800 only once and is typically in the mid to high 700s. Also like Trumbo, his OPS is the result of a very high on-base percentage, over 500, which has a strong 18% walk rate, but also a very high 48% hit rate. He's a good player, but not 950 material. I'll set the odds at 500,000 to 1. Number three, Manny Machado's at 12.21, like Trumbo and Fowler, but with a slightly higher previous OPS peak of 8.61. His too high hit rate is supporting a too high batting average, which is supporting a too high on-base percentage. His past slugging record shows three straight seasons in the 400s. Remember that lowest slugging for a 9.50 OPS was over 500. Odds, 500,000 to 1. Number two, Daniel Murphy at 12.33. Come on. Odds, a million to 1. And as we said, the number one player on the list, Bryce Harper at 1295. Harper's young, but he was over 1100 last year for his OPS, and he's still in his growth phase at just age 23. I'm going to say a 950 OPS for Bryce Harper looks a lot more like a floor than a ceiling. I'll set the odds at 1 to 5. So that's it. Bet on Harper, speculate on Donaldson and Arenado, and fade the rest. If you're wondering where the other elite OPS guys will come from this year, look at where they came from last year. Bet on Paul Goldschmidt, Joey Votto, Mike Trout, and Miguel Cabrera. Now, by the unwritten rules of Master Notes, which I just made up, if you bet any of these props and win, you are morally obliged to send me a bottle of Jameson's Irish Whiskey. Now, if you're sending it from the U.S., on the customs label, please call it Glassware Gift. And if you bet any of these props and lose, well, consider it a lesson on the foolishness of gambling. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Master Notes columnist Patrick Davitt from BaseballHQ.com. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday in the weekly free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Friday, April the 22nd. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 20 of the 2016 Fantasy Baseball season. Of course, you'll realize that's not our usual theme music in the background. It's from Prince, When Doves Cry, marking the untimely passing of a great musical presence in all our lives. 
I want to thank our regular commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our Market Watch commentators were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League commentator was Rob Gordon. Our Playing Time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. Our Frequent Flyers commentator was Alex Becky, And our Pitcher Matchups commentator was Greg Fishwick. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope you enjoyed Master Notes this week, and of course, I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Also, remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. You can also subscribe to my personal Twitter feed at Patrick Davitt, and please send us a message on our email address, bhqradio, all one word, at gmail.com, where you'll always be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help us keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in a few days with another Tuesday Tout edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. Remember to hang on for a nice tribute to Prince after the credits. Talk to you soon and so long. HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick David.
And thanks for staying with us for this short coda tribute to Prince, who died earlier this week at age 57 in his Paisley Park studios in Minneapolis. I want to play Nothing Compares to You, mostly just because it seems like an appropriate epitaph for such a strong, creative, and original artist. The song was originally released in 1985 on a self-titled album by a funk band called The Family, actually a side project that Prince planned to use to release more of his music. Nothing Compares to You was never released as a single, and in fact received little attention until the Irish singer Sinead O'Connor covered it in 1990 with a spare and haunting version featuring a memorable vocal. In fact, I had planned to play O'Connor's version, but then I happened to hear a different cover, another sparsely orchestrated version recorded live at the Sirius XM studios. Here's Nothing Compares to You by the Soundgarden and Audio Slave frontman Chris Cornell on Baseball HQ Radio. It's been seven hours and fifteen days Since you took your love away I go out all night and sleep all day Since you took your love Since you've been gone, I can do whatever I want I can see whoever I choose I can eat my dinner in a fancy Guess what it 
you planted, mama In your backyard All died when you went away And I know living with me, baby Is sometimes hard But I'm willing to give it another try Thank you.